The Word of God is food for the spirit and health to the body. Through the spirit of revelation, we are guided into the wisdom and deep mysteries in His Word that make our lives vibrant and productive. Welcome to the Makerefu Gospel Church Podcast. As you listen in, the glory of God will be quickened and activated in your life. And now, the Word. Last month and part of... Um, November, I believe, we began a series to look at uh, the circumstances that surround the, the birth of Jesus, the events that took place before, during, and after. And we are gleaning from those events, the narrative, the words spoken. We're trying to see nuggets, lessons we can apply in our lives. And I, I thought we had finished, but the Lord gave me another message that is connected to the circumstances and events that took place during the birth of Jesus. So turn with me with your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 6. We'll begin by reading those two verses. Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. And verse 6, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments Adornances of the Lord blameless. I want to begin by talking about evangelistic dating and marriage. Today I want us to discuss the subject of marriage. I hope we can all ap- apply this message to our lives. If you're not yet married, it's still applicable. If you're married, it's applicable. But I can't help but see lessons we can gain from studying this couple, Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias. There are many things we can learn from them. And first of all, I want to talk about evangelistic dating and marriage. These people were both believers. Zacharias was from the tribe of Aaron. He was a priest, and he married a daughter of Aaron, I think a distant cousin of, but they were both Jews, they were both believers, that's what I want to say. They were both serving the Lord. That is the desire for God's people. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is something I have preached about, and this morning I want to Recall, reiterate that God does not allow believers to be married to unbelievers. We are not allowed to do what we call evangelistic dating. You hope that this man, this woman, one day will become a believer. It's a good man. You know, he, he doesn't prevent me from coming to church. I, I know he loves God in his own way. But one day he will get saved. I want him to become my 
wife or my husband, I know he's not a believer, but, you know, I'm believing that he will change. Uh, and when I get married, he has promised not to prevent me from coming to church. He allows me to come to church with the children. That is what we call evangelistic dating and marriage. That is not permitted in Scripture. We see Zacharias, Elizabeth, they were both believers. That is God's standard. If you're a Christian, I'm afraid that is our standard. You're not allowed to date unbelievers or to be married to unbelievers. Praise the Lord. One of the, probably, this decision is only second to believing on Christ. The person you choose to get married to, it is so critical because that decision will affect your relationship with God, it will affect your health, it will affect your destiny, it will affect your calling and purpose in God. This is the second most important decision you can make in this life, who you marry, because it affects you 360 degrees. It affects you in every sphere of your life. And I want to show you an example um, in Scripture. But before I go there, I want you to notice that from the times of Esau to King Solomon, to the times of Ezra, the enemy has had a strategy of weakening the church and destroying God's purpose. And that strategy is having believers get married to unbelievers. That strategy has worked for Satan. He tries to weaken the church by seducing and enticing believers to get married to unbelievers. It weakens our testimony. We have children who are confused. Should I go with daddy? Should I go with mommy? Should I go to the church? Should I go to the mosque? Should I, where, where, which, which faith should I follow? My father's religion is a, is a Muslim. My mother says she's born again. Where do I go? You confuse the children. We, 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 we can lose a generation. The enemy has used this tactic for years, and it works. And it's unfortunate that we have not caught on. We have not caught on on this strategy. And many still fall for this, tick, uh, for this trick. We fall prey to this trick because the enemy does it over and over again. If Satan has failed to short-circuit your ministry, if Satan has failed to destroy you, he will lead you to marry a wrong spouse, especially an unbeliever. It works. It will strangle your ministry. It will affect your testimony. It will affect your work with God. This strategy has worked for Satan for centuries. He has affected the people of God by having believers yoke or get married to unbelievers. I want to show you in the Bible a good example, and that is King Solomon. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3, it says, And he had several hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. 
Solomon backslid because of marriage. Friends, no one here is too strong and immune from this attack. The day you choose to marry an unbeliever, you become vulnerable. You become one whose heart may be turned away from the Lord over time, or it will affect your effectiveness in executing your call and ministry. It will affect you spiritually. This man was a very powerful man. He was a spiritual man. God spoke to him. He had a visitation from God two times. He was endowed with a powerful gift of wisdom. He had, would see revelation and vision. He was a wise king. The Bible says the wisest man was ever lived. Solomon, very wise, anointed. But what causes fall? Marrying an unbeliever. That strategy of the enemy works. I want to let you know, if you do it, you are not immune. You set up yourself to failure. You may say, Pastor, but I have some friends who got married to an unbeliever, and somehow, you know, the man later on became a Christian, and they're not happily married. If that is your argument, I have this to say to you. There are people who have attempted to commit suicide and God intervene and spare their lives. Does that mean all those who want commit suicide now should, should attempt suicide? Are you following my argument? If you say, Pastor, some people have got married to an unbeliever and, you know, somehow things worked out, it is a risk. It may, it may not work. You can't say someone, Pastor, the other day attempted to commit suicide and he did not die. Even me, if I try, I will not die. Who told you? He may succeed. He may succeed. It is a strategy the enemy uses and friends, it works. People change. There is a way in which their testimony and their ability to influence other people for Christ declines. It declines. Verse 4, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old, and his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, and was as was the heart of his father David. It will affect your relationship with God. And my friends, Whatever affects relationship with God is dangerous. Whatever comes between you and God, it is extremely dangerous. Marrying or getting mad unbelievers, it will affect your relationship with God. It says in verse 11, 1 Kings 11, verse 11, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and I have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Do you know that when you get married an unbeliever, you are setting up your children 
to fail. I know you do your best, but you put them in a precarious position. They are in a, a slippery ground. Your seed will have a battle ahead of them. And many of those children have issues. Some struggle, should I follow my mother's faith? Should I follow my mother's faith? If they follow your faith, they have challenges from their father's side or mother's side. There is influence from in-laws, from cousins, from brothers. They have those meetings where they invite them. They are not believers. It is you are setting up your children in a place where there's going to be a lot of temptation. God said, I will not tear the kingdom away from you. But when you have good children, that's when I will begin to deal with you. Solomon's son became a king, but he had a sentence over his head. The kingdom was going to collapse. The kingdom was going to be torn into two because Solomon had married strange wives. You are doing a disservice to your children when you get married unbelievers. It's not fair to them. It affects your entire health. It affects even your ultimate success in this life. All right? Hallelujah. Now, the second thing I want to see from the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth, I've talked about evangelistic dating and marriage. I want to talk about God's will and marriage. When God brought Zacharias and Elizabeth together to get married, God was aware that Elizabeth had a problem to conceive. God was aware. But I believe these two people realized this was God's will for them to get married, and they got married. And I believe God's will has inbuilt shock absorbers. God's will takes care of unexpected and unpleasant seasons in our lives. Oh, praise the Lord. God's will, when you find a spouse in God's will, even though you may face some road, road bumps, speed bumps, there may be some hurdles, but because it's God's will, it will be all right. God's will is supreme. The number one thing, God's people, if you're still single, the number one question to ask when you're getting married, is this God's will? When that question is answered in the affirmative, everything will fall in place in time because it's God's will. This woman says in verse, let's turn to that. Look, look, let me turn to my Bibles also. My Bible, look, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I want you to see here, verse 24. <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 24 says, Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying. Now first of all, the Bible says they were stricken in age, they were very old. But because it was God's will for them to get married, even that issue of barrenness could not prevent 
God's purpose in their lives. She conceived, and look what she says in verse 25. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. It means people were saying many things about their marriage. There were people who were insensitive, making nasty comments. There were many people who are talking behind their back. But because it was God's will for them to get married, in the end, they came out victorious. Please hear me very well. If you're still single and someone comes to you and wants to marry you, the number one thing to check out is not how tall, how handsome they are, how much money they have, how much education they have. The key question is, is it God's will? If it is God's will, everything will fall into place as time goes on to fall into place. Barrenness, poverty, cultural problems, tribal differences, whatever challenge you face in that marriage, if, if, if it is God's will to be okay, to be okay, <laughs> yeah. Now, turn to the book of Ruth. I want to dig deeper into this point because someone needs to get this in his spirit. Ruth chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 10 to verse 13. Ruth has come back with Naomi in Israel. She's now probably about maybe 35, 40 years old. She has been single. She got married. Her husband died. But they had no child. Probably people thought she was also having a problem conceiving. She has baggage. She's taking care of her mother-in-law. She has extra baggage. She's, and on top of that, she's a foreigner. She's from the tribe of Moab. She has all these things against her. In spite of that, there is a man called Boaz who has looked at her and has gained interest in her now. Ruth comes to him at night and um, she does what they would do in their culture. He says, you are now my kinsman redeemer. Your male relative, my husband, died. It is now your responsibility to marry me so we can raise a seed in the name of your dead relative. And in verse 10 he says, and he said, blessed be thou of of the Lord, my daughter. There was a, a big age difference. For, the, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the seed of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I'm thy near kinsman, how be there's a kinsman 
nearer than, than I. Let me just pause there. Boaz is surprised that Ruth, who's much younger than him, is willing to become his wife. He says, you have, you have a, a wide choice of younger men in your country, Moab, and even in Israel. Younger men you could choose from. And, um, but he says, you've come to me. And, and I believe this young woman, Ruth, with the help of our mother-in-law, was being led by the Holy Spirit. Because Ruth was being given an opportunity to join the lineage of Jesus. Someone who's coming from outside Israel, being included in the commonwealth of Israel, being and even being put in the bloodline of Jesus, that is a lifetime opportunity. That's that is what every girl would dream about, being a grandmother of Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. This woman, through revelation, her mother's counseling, her mother-in-law, she decided to choose or to go with this older man because she sensed destiny with this man. And it shows me that in marriage, age is important, physical appearance is important, culture is important, tribe is important, education is all these things are important. But what is even more important is the will of God. The will of God. She says, it was God's will for her to go with this man. There were other men. She could even go back to Moab and get married to people who are closer to her age, people probably more handsome, more good-looking. But she said this, I said something in this man. I feel God drawing me to this man. There are differences in tribe and culture in age, but I sense destiny. This man, it comes back what I've been saying that God's will is supreme, supreme over everything else. People have made bad choices because they base their choices purely on the physical. They base their choices purely on the financial prospects. The best decision on family is coming from, just coming from this family. I am marrying up as if you, you need up, upgrading uh, yeah. <laughs> through marriage. <laughs> Some people, that's their goal. They want to marry into a wealthy, aristocratic, powerful family because it will, it will improve their image. But that is not the, the basis for marriage. The basis is, is it the will of God? That is the most important question to ask. When that answer is in the affirmative, ah, move ahead. Move ahead. Now, 
Even Boaz had to make a decision. Chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Boa, uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, And he said unto the kinsman. Now, of course, before I read this, um, Boaz told Ruth, Ruth, I am honored that you've chosen me, but it's actually someone closer to your dead husband than me. There's someone who should take the first uh, opportunity to marry you because he's closer to your late husband than me. So I'm going to give him the first opportunity to choose whether he will marry you or not. So look what happens in verse 4. Say that to the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, let's pause there. This first kinsman redeemer, the one who's closest to the dead husband of Ruth, at first he agrees to buy the land because he's going to get property. You know, in Israel, Land will always go back to the original uh, owners every, at every jubilee. You only would lease. Families could not sell land because land was perpetually owned by families. But you could buy land back by paying the lease. So this man was going to pay the lease, the lease, lease holder, and redeem the land, and it becomes his. He had no problem doing that because it would amass his wealth. It would, he would, it would add to his acquisitions and property. But then, Boaz told him, before you say yes, there is another catch. He says in the verse, verse 5, Then said Boaz, What did thou buyest the field of the, of, of the hand of Naomi? Thou must buy it also of Ruth. The Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Ah, now he's told, before you say yes, because you think you're going to be getting more property, there is a condition. There is a widow, and there's a, a, an old mother-in-law, and you must put them into consideration. You must raise up a seed in the name of your dead relative. And the property that you are acquiring will go back to that young man. Whichever side you produce first with this woman will become the heir of the deceased and will take over the property that you are redeeming. The man thought, hey, is that the condition? And moreover, you're bringing a foreigner in the equation. Want me to marry this woman from Moabite? Moreover, she, she lived with her, my late relative for years. She had no children. 
Then the man said, verse 6, the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, mm, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. God's... Are you following? This man looked at the exterior. He only was going to marriage with a view of becoming wealthy and rich. And he looked at this young woman and saw a widow who had been married for years, had no child, and she had baggage. She had take care of an old woman who was her mother-in-law. Said, ah, no, 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 you can, you can redeem the land. Many people make choices based on appearance, financial conditions, culture, tribe, education, all those things. And I'm not saying they're not important, but be careful. That's not the most important question to ask before you get married. Is it God's will? This man, this man lost an opportunity in a million lives. Bible says, when Obed married, no, not Obed, when Boaz married uh, Ruth, the moment they came together, she conceived and she gave birth to Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David. Hallelujah. Jesus is called the son of David. Don't judge by your eyes. Don't judge because of lust. Don't judge because purely you, you, you want someone educated. I know it's important, but before you look at education, is it God's will? This man could be now, instead of having Boaz, whatever his name was, he would be the one in the lineage of our Jesus Christ. Listen, there are women who look and appear what they are not. You look at her, what you see is not what she is. There's destiny in her. When that man saw Ruth, he failed to see that God was intending to bring a Gentile in the lineage to show the world that I'm most interested in saving Gentiles. God brought Ruth into the lineage to show that salvation is not just for Jews. Even Gentiles can participate in salvation. It was in God's program. So, when you are looking for a spouse, be discerning. Ask God to show you very well what is before you because you may turn down an offer and miss a lifetime opportunity. There are girls in this church that turn down applications and I believe some of them have lived regret because they looked at the young man and said, hmm, this one, look, as years go by, 
this one becomes somebody. And it, and, 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 and things change. I, I have seen that in my own eyes. What is critical is, is it the will of God? Hallelujah. I, I want to show you something in the Bible that has been on my heart these past few days. It has blessed me. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 8, Matthew chapter 8, verse, Matthew 13, verse 8, the Bible speaks of the sower going to sow seed and some seed fell on the wayside, some fell on the rocks, some fell on, uh, on the thorns, and um, the, seed, the seed that fell on the roadside was stepped on and birds came and ate it. The one that fell on the rock germinated but did not grow when the sun came up. They died because they lacked roots. And the ones that were th sown among thorns were choked by the thorns. But then Jesus told us there is a fourth category, the good soil. The good soil for me is a picture of believers. We are good soil. All of us who have come to know Christ, our hearts have been a furrow. We've been, we, we, when we receive the word of God in our hearts, it, it produces fruit. I am now teaching and preaching. I hope the seed is falling on good ground and will produce fruit in due time. So the fourth type of soil is good soil. However, and this really touched me, all of us will go on to live a life where some of us produce a hundredfold, some produce sixtyfold, some produce thirtyfold. Why? Why? The Bible says in uh, Matthew 18 verse 8, but other fell into good ground and brought forth some an hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. Why? If we are all receiving the same seed, the seed is the word of God. There's no word of God, the word of God for one tate, another seed for uh, Robin Aruama, another seed for Kampumore. No, it's the same seed. Then why is it that at the end of the day we produce different uh, harvests? Why is it that some produce a hundredfold, others produce sixty, another thirty? I thought about that. Now, there are many factors that affect farming and, 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 and crops and harvests. But for me, I want to zero on one thing. In this life, marriage affects how much fruit you produce in your life. As a Christian, all factors being constant, the one important variable that will influence the production of fruit in your life is marriage. If all of us come to the same church, eat the same spiritual food, live in the same country, but why is it that some people have a hundredfold, others sixty, and others thirty? There may be several reasons, but one of them is marriage. 
this question of marriage is so important. It will affect even how much fruit you produce in your life. The kind of spouse you have will have an impact on how fruitful you are in this life. You can see that in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And my friends, this is one thing that we are all called to do. Jesus told us, my father glorified when you bear much fruit. We are alive today to bear fruit. Not just forgive me, to sleep, have sex, have children, make money. Those things, they're there. But the most important reason why we are alive, we are alive to bear fruit. Says my father, John 15, verse 8, my father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you ask it of my Father in my name, he may give it to you. Being fruitful is the number one thing for us who are alive. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. He says, In the days of this king shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. There is a kingdom that God is building in these days. It will cover the whole earth. The image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, he saw a fourth kingdom that has no end. These are the days when God is building his kingdom. He has sent us to preach the gospel of the kingdom. That is the number one reason why you are alive. God's agenda, now, number one agenda. Azimbo Wakabaka, he's building the kingdom. He just said, pray in this matter. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That is what God is about. When he saves you, he says, Onokola, Onoweresam. Can I employ you? I am building a kingdom. I am building a kingdom. Can I, can I use your talents? That's the number one mission that God has. Yes, yes people talk about prosperity, all these things. You know, they're, 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 those things are good. But please don't forget, God is busy about building a kingdom. And that kingdom requires workers. And you and I must be careful that when we choose to get married, it does not impair our ability to work in the kingdom. It should not impair or impede or short-circuit our effectiveness in building God's kingdom. You know, Scripture says in Proverbs 19, verse 14, house and wealth are the inheritance from fathers, but a wise, understanding, and sensible wife 
a gift, a blessing, is from the Lord. I believe, and I might be wrong, but this is what I want to submit to you. I believe that there is a person that God will bring in your life who can help you produce a hundredfold. But if you miss God's purpose, get married. And by the grace of God, you can walk, produce 300-fold. Walk, produce 60-fold. It's possible. You, you, will not, you will not become a total failure. And you will go to heaven. You will go to heaven. But I believe there is a particular person that God brings in your life and my life. That when you link up, the person may not be the most likely individual for you to marry. The person may be like Ruth, a foreigner, a Gentile, a widow. But if you link up that individual, then you have hooked into the possibility of bearing a hundredfold. However, if, and God help us, if you have made choice, Pick somebody else. And please, I'm not saying leave your spouse, but if you've made a decision, walk. You may be able to get 30-fold, 60-fold, 70-fold, 80-fold, but it is almost impossible to get 100 without that individual that God destined for you. Possible. The Bible says that gift is from the Lord. You may get wealth, you may get houses, you may get property, the only thing you can get. But that individual who you link up and you hit a hundredfold must come from God. That's why God's will is important. Young people, God's will is important. Sometimes we push people, but sometimes it's even better to go slow and make sure you are doing what is in the will of God for you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to finish with this. Being single and marriage. I've talked about evangelistic dating and marriage. I talked about God's will and marriage. Now I want to talk about being single and marriage. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says, For I would not that all men were even as I myself, but every man that has his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. I believe, brothers and sisters, that being single and being married are both gifts. Paul says, I want, I would want everyone to be like me. I have a gift to be single because when I'm single, I am able to produce a hundredfold. But there are individuals who, if they are single, cannot produce a default. 
<laughs> Are you following? All of them, it's a gift. Some of us can't be single. We will have problems. We will produce no fruit. <laughs> there are a few people who are gifted to be single and they hit the mark. Both are gifts that gives out of his own sovereign will. We have no choice, we have no power for that. And it shows me that none of them is more spiritual than the other. You know, the Catholics say that uh, the fathers must remain holy, they remain single, they are celibate, you know, they are, they are higher, on a higher pedestal because they are married to Jesus. Some of them are actually married at night. They have children and they open up orphanages and put the children there. They, they said that we have orphanages, but they are, they are children that have been fathered by, by priests. I know that because of the Catholics. Being celibate doesn't make you more spiritual than someone who is married. It all comes down to what is God's will. Are you called to be single? There are times in our lives when God calls us for a season to be single. A season. So that you hit a certain mark. Are you following? You may not be called to be a single all your life. But there comes a time when you have to be single to do an assignment to reach a level of growth as a believer before you get married. That's all in God's power and control. And I believe some of the best times when we have, especially when we have got young people in this house, is when they're still single, they are more active. They've got more time to invest in the work. They're more engaged. That is there sometimes for a purpose. That God may get something out of you before you get engaged with marital affairs. In God's time. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We hope that you've been strengthened with His might and fortified by the Word of God. Please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube pages at Full Gospel Map. Goodbye.